Positano bites deep. It is a dream place that isn't quite real when you are there and becomes beckoningly real after you have gone. Its houses climb a hill so steep, it would be a cliff except that stairs are cut in it. I believe that whereas most house foundations are vertical, in Positano they are horizontal. The small curving bay of unbelievably blue and green water laps gently on a beach of small pebbles. There is only one narrow street and it does not come down to the water. Everything else is stairs, some of them as steep as ladders. You do not walk to visit a friend, you either climb or slide. John Steinbeck captured this vision of Positano during his stay at Le Serenuse, the iconic hotel set on the coastline's cliffside. Le Serenuse is one of the Amalfi Coast's most sought-after hotels, an establishment steeped in history with a clientele of politicians, artists, actors, and movers and shakers throughout the decades, whose stories are contained among the hotel walls. More recently, contemporary artists have left behind artworks, specifically created and produced on-site. La Sirenuse started out as a holiday home for the Sersale family, and over the last few decades has gradually been converted into a hotel, which is now run and operated by Antonio Sersale. In this conversation, we chat with Antonio on Amalfi traditions, the history of Positano, and the balancing act of continuing a family hotel and its legacy. Here's Antonio on the line. Hi, Antonio. First things first, I wanted to ask, how did you meet your wife, Carla? Well, my wife, Carla, I've known all my life because um, our parents were very close friends. So my father went to, um, to live in Milan for a period and um, met lots of Milanese amongst whom were the parents of Carla. Where is your family from originally? Well, my father's side of the family is Neapolitan and my mother was actually... Californian, and um, met my father on the beach in Positano. Was your father running La Sirenuse at this time? No, my father was never running the Sirenuse. My father was one of the, the partners because um, the hotel was actually a summer house. My family um, basically was my father and all his brothers and, and sisters. They were seven siblings, were all born in Naples. And this was a summer house that was used by a cousin who lived in Sin because he lived with a divorced woman. So when World War II began, the heavy bombing of all the strategic harbors, Naples was one of them. My family decided to leave Naples and come to live in Positano for the duration of the war. So my father um, spent his youth, basically, in Positano. And then after the war, he went back to Naples and finished his um, university and then went to work in Milan. What was your father's work in Milan? He was actually a chemical engineer. So then he began a career in engineering companies, but always remained a partner in the hotel. What is the history of La Serenuse? Well, what happened was that during the war, I mean, um, Positano was a rest camp for a British regiment that was called the Coldstream Guards. And after the war, these soldiers who'd been here sort of wanted to come back and show their wives um, where they'd spent part of the war. Obviously, they had very fond memories of this simple fishing village. And, that, and those really were the first few tourists. So it's how really Positano began seeing the first few tourists. And I guess my family decided that they probably had a lot of friends coming to visit them and, and um, staying in the house. Why not start a hotel? And so in 1951, the Sirenuse began. 
In what ways has Positano changed in the last few decades? Well, I mean, the last few decades, definitely we've seen a growth. This is pre-COVID, of course, in the number of tourists. We've seen also a, a, a tremendous diversification. So um, people from all over the world, really, were, were visiting Positano. And we've also seen sort of a number of um, bed and breakfast spring and houses that are rented on the equivalent of Airbnb, which in turn has created a bit of a problem for the locals. So, for example, if a family has children and the children want to move out and find another house, um, these houses have become incredibly expensive. So that's put pressure, you know, it's made it much more difficult for the next generations. Did you always want to go into the hospitality industry growing up at Les Renuse? Well, you know, I did and I didn't. I mean, at the beginning, I thought I would go into something like um, banking or something like that. And then I, I, I found my calling and, and went to the hotel school in Switzerland. I trained in Sardinia, worked in a hotel in Sardinia, worked in the U.S. for four years. So I did do five years outside of the hotel. What compelled you to get back into the hotel business? Well, you know, I mean, I did realize that if I wanted to pursue other careers, it would be very, very difficult for me. And also, I would be having to forfeit what was a, a family tradition. Mm -hmm. So um, putting two and two together, I decided that this, the smartest thing was to go into the hotel industry. I find that interesting that when you grow up in a family business, there's a strong deterrent to follow that path, but inevitably there's a sort of calling to return to it because there is this burning desire to branch out, right? You know what it is, is that if you have a family business, you have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you have a responsibility in a certain way, I think you have to look, live up to it. And it, it's very strange because as you come here as a youngster, you know, you see this family hotel, more like a playground than anything else. And then all of a sudden, it turns into something very serious, which is life-consuming, and, and you dedicate your life to it. That is really the, the truth. I mean, um, I had to do this. I mean, there was no other way for me to do anything apart from this. But does going back into the family business feel like a sort of calling that you come back to? Well, I did, but my father was also, you know, instrumental in that he had an amazing aesthetical eye. And he began a big process of renovation of the hotel and the modernization and sort of changed the aesthetics of the Sirenuse. And I worked very much on all the operational side, on adding new services, the spa, Aldo's bar, Franco's bar, um, you know, finding a talented chef. And so all of these things. But a lot of the aesthetical things I owe to my father. And of course, I've continued in a different key and... But the groundwork was very much laid by my father. And after you finished hospitality school, did you change anything about the hotel? Well, I added a spa, and um, we've got this very beautiful spa designed by, at the time, this very, very, very famous architect who sadly is no longer alive. She was a great friend of my father. She was called Gaia Olenti, and she designed this amazing spa for us. Then, after a trip with my wife to Paris, where we stayed at the Hotel Cost, I got the inspiration for more sexy, trendy bar, and the idea of Aldo's came up. And um, so we opened this bar, and then we added a seafood bar to it. Then we added a, a kitchen to it, so now it's its own sort of entity entirely. And then a few years later, I got another idea to, um, to get rid of part of my parking lot and add um, another bar 
called Franco's. And that became like an overnight success and everyone, there's always a waiting line to get in and, and um, now Aldo is, is adding sort of incredible mixology to it. So it's amazing. What new ideas did you bring into La Serenuse? Really, to be very honest, Italy traditionally does not really have such a strong bar culture as other countries. I mean, I would say that the bar culture really comes from the U.S. And it's worn off a bit on Italy, and Italy sort of um, embraced it. But Italians are basically wine drinkers. You know, traditionally, when you go to someone's house, informally, they won't offer you a cocktail. They will offer you, chances are, a glass of wine before dinner or something like that. So the idea of bringing cocktails and mixing it in with this idea of the Dolce Vita married itself perfectly. So then embraced very much the idea of um, these drinks that you could have outside, like the Negronis, like the Bellinis, and then all this Italian flair and creativity was brought into the mixology world and created this incredible sort of um, world. Can you tell me a little bit about the bar culture here in Italy and what role it plays in the Italian lifestyle? Well, I, I, I don't know, really. That is something that, I mean, there are certain liquors that have always been famous in Italy, like um, the Campari and all the, and all the bitters, and, um, and, um, and Italians also love digestives. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, it was just a series of very creative barmen that had the idea of, this, of these drinks that came together and, and created this whole sort of movement. And people loved it because, of course, people are always sitting outside in cafes and what better to do than to drink uh, a nice aperitivo when you're outside, you know. That's such an interesting context to hear given the prominence of Italian cocktails. And as a tourist, there's this huge emphasis on the aperitivo. Where did the aperitivo culture start? Well, so there's certain things. The first thing is that we have amazing plants and this, this climate lends itself very much to beautiful plants. And... Luckily, with very mild winters, these plants can continue living throughout the winter. So that's already a wonderful thing. Then I'm a strong believer in lighting. I, I, I give tremendous emphasis to lighting and um, soft lighting, um, diffused lighting, and very, very warm tones of the lighting. We're very lucky in that the backdrop to um, a lot of the, um, of the building is this beautiful Pompeian red. So um, it, it mingles perfectly with this low light and creates this very warm glow as the lights reflect off the Pompeian red. And then music, I think, is essential. And this year, for example, we've begun a collaboration with this amazing man who we all adore, who's Armana Frey, who's um, done all our playlists, and we're very excited about that. La Serenuse has one of the most elegant terraces in Italy. How do you create the ambiance around the space that consistently makes it feel romantic and intimate? Absolutely. It just doesn't happen by chance. I mean, it can, but I mean, it's something that you have to dedicate tremendous amount of time and thought to. Are these skills that you acquire on the job, or is this something that you learned in hospitality school? No, I think this is something that you, you develop through time, through observing places that you like, keeping in mind portions of it. So like you might go to a place in Morocco and and love the atmosphere there. In Morocco, for example, they use a lot of candles. Everything is lit by candles. 
So then you realize the importance of candles. Our dining room now is lit entirely by candles. We light 450 candles every night when we're inside. So, I mean, that's something that's, you know, it's an idea that, that can come. And then you go to a bar and has an amazing playlist and you think, I want really good music in my bar. How do I go for it? And then you get together and you think, who could do this for me? And so, you know, one thing leads to the other. And then the next thing you know, you've put together something which is quite nice. The Serenusa is steeped in history. What are some traditions that we can find? Well, there's some f- quirky um, traditions, for example. I'm like the carpet in the elevator being changed every day with the name of the week. When you're on holiday, you tend to lose your sense of bearing um, of what day it is, when it is. And so it's nice that when you step into the elevator of the hotel, you know the day of the week. And then, you know, there are lots of, um, of, of rituals also because, I mean, a lot of the furniture is very, very delicate. So, for example, you have to close curtains to protect certain chairs, the fabrics, you have to cover other chairs. So there's actually a lot of work that's done to maintain this very fragile equilibrium, which then allows you to have these beautiful pieces of furniture, i.e., in the majority of hotels you go to today, I mean, they, they're always looking for practical, low-maintenance solutions. So they will, for example, look at outdoor furniture, which is, you know, weatherproof. Our furniture is not weatherproof. Our furniture is this beautiful handmade rattan that comes from northern Italy, made by this amazing company called Bonacina, and it needs to be covered during the day. So it's all these little details like this. And, um, you know, and then other traditions is, of course, collecting. You know, we, we have a passion for collecting art, and that's definitely part of the tradition of this hotel. Which actually leads me to my next question. Art plays a huge role in your life. How do you approach collecting art and design objects for Le Serenuse? Well, I uh, managed to convince my father that it was right. My father never had a calling for contemporary art. And I managed to convince him that we needed to add some contemporary art to this hotel to make it more relevant because we didn't want it to remain a museum. So in doing so, I had this idea together with this wonderful curator that we met called Silke Ritson thomas who's based in England, to begin a program, each year we would select an artist, invite them to the hotel so that he or she could get an inspiration of what they wanted to do and where they wanted to do. And afterwards, we would commission the work of art through a gallery, install it, and the work would become basically permanent and site-specific. And when you are working with these artists and spending time with them, are you involved in the process or do you give them carte blanche? Carte blanche. I just want it to be, make sure that it's practical yes. so that, you know, it can't harm a guest. I'm just concerned about certain practical aspects. Mm-hmm. And if it meets those criteria, I leave complete freedom. How do you infuse a modern dialogue at the hotel? A modern dialogue is by embracing change, really, in every aspect, you know, embracing trends, embracing change, but without losing your soul. So it has to be a gentle adaption to the new trends. But you have to remain true to yourself. If, you know, if embracing a new trend means forfeiting the DNA of, of your hotel, then it's something that you have to think very closely about. So we try and, and navigate between innovation and at the same time maintaining our true DNA. So you're dealing with both trying to innovate and preserve. Is it a balancing act? 
Both of your sons also work in hospitality. How does their experiences play into La Serenuse? Very much so. And I hope more and more every day because, you know, I think that each generation needs to innovate for a company, hotel or whatever, not to become obsolete. Because, you know, however talented one person is, at a certain moment he's no longer able to really understand what the trends are, to hand over the reins to the new generation is the best thing one can do. You know, the pandemic has set a lot of challenges for the hospitality industry in the last year. What lessons or reflections have you considered at this time? We have a very special little hotel, but, you know, our client base is from all over the world. So, you know, we wonder if it's sustainable to think that for us to keep alive, we need to have people flying eight hours to come and see us. So we're very much thinking that, you know, we have to look more than ever in our backyard. So i.e. like within Italy, within Europe, to try and find new clients or guests really, who will also embrace our vision and, and feel at home and, um, and love staying with us. Well, for example, we've taken a PR in the German-speaking countries. We've taken a PR in, um, in Italy. So, I mean, you know, it's very much trying to begin a dialogue with all the press and all the sort of the media um, in these two markets that before were not so crucial for us. You know, that is one thing I find really interesting about the Amalfi Coast is that it's actually quite difficult to get to from the U.S., but there's a huge Anglo affinity and there's a ton of Americans around and British. When did this type of tourism arrive in the Amalfi? Well, it's always been there. Because, um, as I said, the British were here in a rest camp. Americans always have had an affinity for Capri. I think the affinity has always been there. What's changed is that more people are traveling. Did the pause during the pandemic inspire any changes in the way that you do your business? Yes, very much so, you know. I mean, I myself um, want to travel a lot less, spend a lot more time locally. And um, rather than focusing on uh, opening a new restaurant abroad, We've, we're looking at, uh, you know, maybe doing something locally or, or nationally. Um, so we're, we're very much focused now on our area and Italy. Let's talk about the gastronomy of the Amalfi Coast. What are the definitive flavors of this region? Well, there's certain ingredients which are essential to this area. And I would say first and foremost is the tomato. The tomato is almost like a religion here. And then there is, of course, the lemons, because there are all these beautiful lemon groves around the Amalfi Coast. Olive oils. Of course, there's the fish. There's the wonderful fruit. And then there's some amazing vegetables. So, you know, there's a lot going for this area culinarily. Mm -hmm. The foundations are very, very good. Are you involved at all with the vision of the restaurant? I used to, but now my son is taking care of that. So I am on holiday. <laughs> You know, I love to leave as much of the creative process as possible to the chef. Mm -hmm. Just like an artist, the chef is an artist. And so, you know, you don't want to go and tell an artist, put more green on the painting. Yeah. Um, so you don't go tell the you try and give as much free reign to the chef as possible. What would you say makes Positano unique as a destination in Italy? Well, I believe truly what makes Positano unique, it's its people. Because... I mean, the world is full of very, very beautiful places. But I do think that the people here have this unique trait of being incredibly kind and very welcoming. And, I mean, yes, people remember this hotel for its beautiful views, 
But I truly believe that what they truly remember are the people yeah. that work here and the kindness and the and this, this, this incredible generosity of spirit that these people have. And also their willingness to interact because um, they interact in a very discreet, um, very pleasant way. So it makes people very much feel at home and gives them a feeling that they want to return to. And I think that people think that, ah, yes, it's the view. But I think this view without the people would be nothing. So, Antonio, you are also very well-traveled in your personal life. What has been a formative trip you've taken in Italy or beyond? Well, in Italy, you know, it's, it's the art cities and, and these beautiful sort of ruins, these museums. Actually, I must say, some of the most beautiful moments I've spent in Italy are definitely museums because museums in Italy are greatly undervalued, i.e. Um, there's a lot of tourists. We're talking pre-pandemic, of course. But of these tourists, a very small percentage actually goes and visits museums. So when you have these very hectic, crazy cities, you go into a museum, it's like a haven. It's a very pleasant place to be, to, to spend time. And of course, I love trekking. So I've been trekking to very remote corners of the world. I've been trekking in, a, in a, an area of Nepal called Mustang, which is a little kingdom. I've been um, trekking in Bhutan. I've been trekking in um, all over, really. What has been your most memorable trekking trip? Well, I think one of the most bonding ones was scaling Mount Kilimanjaro, which I loved. I loved the remote sort of um, um, Buddhist monasteries that you find in Mustang and Nepal. And, um, and just, you know, it's just a sense of bonding with these people that you're walking around the world with that makes you feel you're part of something really great. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So what inspires your love of travel? Knowledge really, and, and seeing how other, curiosity, I would say, and seeing how other people live, how other people go about their existence, and to get ideas to bring back here, of course. What inspiration abroad have you brought back home here at Lissé de Yes, you know, for example, you know, when you go to these very remote places, you want to create a sense of peace, a sense of tranquility, and that's something that I strive very much to do when people come to the Sirenuse, although that it can be a hectic town, once you're in this hotel, you're in a little haven. And final question, what are some philosophies that you live by? You don't preach and do one thing. I mean, preach one way and do another. I think you have to really live by what you say and live by example. So, I mean, if you ask your, your collaborators to do something, then you have to do it yourself as well. And I try and, and be very, very fair and, 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 and kind to people and... You know, if any one of, of the people that work here needs anything, I'm always there for them. Well, thank you so much, Antonio. This was a really lovely conversation. For those tuning in, you can find Les Serenuse on Instagram at Les Serenuse. And I highly recommend you check out Emporio Serenuse, an Amalfi Coast-inspired brand creative directed by Carla Sarsale. Tune in next week for our final episode of the season. The Art of Travel is created by Olivia Lopez, produced by Bon Weekender, edited by Jason Stewart, and music composed by Slow Shiver. We'll see you on Tuesday.